This is uh, Happy Easter to everyone. And Easter obviously has a, a great deal of tradition. And I thought it interesting. We were, I'm kind of looking at, do you do something special for today? We're actually, this is the concluding piece of a sermon series I've been doing. And then it struck me, they really fit together. So um, the idea of moving forward, the momentum of change. And we've really been addressing this issue of real change. Um, and why is real change so difficult? And why does it so often require a crisis that brings problems to solution? Um, why do I do things I really don't agree with? Or why is my purpose in life so limited by my life? Have you ever felt like your life was limited by your life? If you didn't have to do these things, you could do these things. And so as we've been working on these, it strikes me that Easter kind of represents some of the issue probably. Sunday, uh, or Easter Sunday is the Super Bowl of Sundays. It is the Sunday where you will find the attendance in church is doubled. I mean, it gains 100% on Easter morning for lots of reasons, some of them tradition, some of them family. But on Easter morning, uh, it's a big deal. And so what you see is churches um, use a fair amount of budget, they're planning months in advance, typically special programming and, and special plants um, and people with, you know, uh, waving things. And we have plays and skits and lots of things. And all of these are really designed to, to take advantage of that moment when church attendance is that much higher. And then the Sunday afterwards, although most churches and most pastors hope and pray, you know, you gained three people after Easter. A lot of times it pretty much goes back to where it was. And you realize that uh, something that is part of the sermon series about being stuck is just true. And so the series has been about being stuck and the idea that real change is a heart change. It's something that works from the outside in. And, and we see that real change is really not all that common in life. And that real change rarely happens because we choose it. It often is circumstances that demand some kind of change from us. So I wanted to look at that. And um, I'm using it really, uh, uh, I was inspired by uh, our communion message today, and that is the idea of escape velocity. Um, and uh, I've got a, an image here, if you could. Uh, you know, when, we, when we're going to the moon, we have to escape gravity. And so if you were to fire out that way, uh, eventually, in the next slide, you'll see that it falls and it hits. And what you have to do is you have to fire it fast enough that it is going forward at the same speed that it is 
falling down. And when you do that, then it just circles, and it's called an orbit. All right, so the key is, can we go fast enough that the going down is the same as the going forward, and you're going all the way around, and you're never hitting? But you really haven't changed anything, have you? You're just using force and speed to prevent it from hitting the ground. If you want to go to the moon, then you really do have to deal with gravity. And you'll notice it's not a straight line, is it? And so the idea is it takes a lot more power to actually go to the moon. What does this have to do with you? Well, there are powerful forces, it's called gravity, that holds you to the earth. There are powerful forces that work to prevent you from changing to look like God. There are powerful forces at work. And these forces will require for you an escape velocity. They will require a power that is not incidental. It's not something that you're just going to do someday. But to change requires something more. So uh, in July... Of 1969, Neil Armstrong, Michael Collins, and Buzz Aldrin climbed aboard Apollo 11 at Kennedy Space Center. And they had a multi-stage rocket, uh, and I don't know if this was shared earlier today, weighing 102,907 pounds, but it carried over 3.5 million pounds of fuel. All of that to escape. All of that was to put raw power, enough of it in play, that it actually could go fast enough that it could leave the orbit of the earth. And so you have this appearance of what brute force that takes. So here's a couple of things that, uh, that they pointed out, uh, the author did. Breaking the sound barrier is one thing, but exiting the earth's atmosphere is another thing altogether. At takeoff, the five engines produced 7,500 pounds of thrust in order to exceed the gravitational pull of Earth and reach an escape velocity of 17,500 miles an hour. That's how fast you have to go. That's to just stay equal in orbit. That just gets you into orbit. But if you want to shoot the moon you're going to have to top 25,000 miles per hour. I kind of look at that. Uh, you can go ahead. I have three of those that look the same. So here's the way we can look at this. If you want to adjust your behavior, if you want to adjust the thing you do, if you want to look better, then you just need something that will change the orbit. And that's like orbiting your life. You're going to have enough power to change what it looks like. But if you ever reduce that power, it's going to fall right back to where it was. All right? That's that diet that you have to work at every time. That's that counting that you have to do when you're angry. It's those overrides that you must constantly reach for 
that keep that behavior in check. You see, something that's circling the earth is not escaped the earth's influence and power. It is only operating by sheer force to stay away from the earth. That's what happens when we change from the outside. That's what happens when I say, I'm going to change my language. And I fight myself every day to change my language. And on the inside, I'm calling you all kinds of things. But on the outside, I'm, bless you. You're a good person somewhere. I know you probably are. And the fact that I am really angry with you and there's names that I'm calling you, I'm keeping that under control. You see, when we live our lives like that, you have these forces, this force that is forcing you to look different than you are, act different than you are, and these forces that are saying, look the way you are. And these forces are constantly at work in you and I. But there's no real relief there, is there? Because what it takes to actually escape is much more powerful than what we bring to the table in ourselves. Real change requires something more. Many want to see growth as a Christian. They want to see growth as a human being. Uh, They want to be a different person, but the power required, it leaves us stuck. It leaves us at something less. Many want to see a difference in our character. We would like to not be someone who lies or deceives. We'd like to be someone who doesn't lose their temper. Someone who doesn't maybe exaggerate. We'd like to be a better person, a better friend, a better spouse, a better employee, or a better employer. We would like to be. But the truth is, we're stuck. And this is why it often requires a crisis to get people to a different place. It requires something external that says, you know, your job is no longer going to be a problem because, in fact, you no longer have a job there. And now we're entering a crisis mode where the job is no longer the problem. You see, the key to understanding this is you have to look at your life. There's got to be something more than pressing onward and upward just to live and survive. So I want you to wire that in right now, that God, at least, has a desire for your life that's more than just living and existing. There's more to it. And when you reach for something more than that, it will require a lot more. The change is going to be something different than going sideways, to the left and to the right, but real change on the inside is a powerful force, and it's the force that God brings. Last week, I shared with you the concept of what is under the hood. What's inside you comes into play if what's inside you, you want to change to be somebody different. 
Do you see that? What's inside you now matters. For you guys that are macho and you, you know, feelings are girly things or something you're not comfortable with, it doesn't matter whether you're comfortable with it or not. It's at play inside you. It doesn't matter whether you want to talk about these things that happened in your life or not. It doesn't matter because the truth is they are at play. It doesn't matter whether you want to think about these things or understand these things because they're still at play. They're at work in each one of us. Paul in Romans 7, frustrated with this reality, chapter 7, verse 21 through 24. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against me, against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in me. His conclusion, I'm really messed up. I'm really screwed up. I suck. That's, that's the condition of me. You see, it's when you're running really fast and what you realize is at your best speed, all you can do is just keep from hitting the ground and no more. What God shares with you is that he knows and he sees the problem. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10, this is out of the message. I really like the way it's said. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. A puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart. I examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I treat them as they really are not as they pretend to be. See, God addresses this issue, this reality, that the, where the change has to start is here. I can change my job. I can change. I can get rid of my spouse. I can get a different spouse. Some of us have done that numerous times. I can change where I live. But the real change eludes me. And so I want to look at the window of our soul. We introduced this a little last week. And uh, so we're going to kind of put this in play a little differently. So this really kind of represents, we're going to call it the window of your soul. And, and that first quadrant there, that's kind of, people know this about you, you know this about you. We call it the public self. That's things we know about ourselves, other people know about ourselves, all right? The second one is the private self. That's the hidden self. That's things that I know about myself that I'm not going to let you know. At least I'm going to try to keep you from knowing those things. I'm going to call them private things. And then there's that part of me that really I'm blind to. Other people know that about me, but I'm not really aware of that. It could be something good. It could be something not so good. Like it could be, uh, he's got a generous heart. 
Somebody might say that and go, really? I don't have a generous heart. Or it could be that I'm really self-centered. And I go, really? I'm not really self-centered. And then finally, the things that are unknown to you and to others. It's that dark place, that place down inside us. It is really largely unknown. Now, I want you to know, from all of these quadrants, things down inside you are at work in every decision you make. Every decision you make, you have input from all of those things. It's why you can do things that you go, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. Wow, that must have been the booze talking. Or it might have been you talking. It might have been you. So here's what we do. And here's kind of where this is going. You can see that there's some things we can do to expand this. Now, some people go, why would I want to be completely known? Well, it's important that you at least know you. If you're going to be able to change anything, or you can just survive your life and live by the rules that are given you. But you see, God wants to open up these other parts of you because they prevent you from changing. They prevent me from changing. They leave me stuck. Why do people do the things they do? So, you know, in a perfect world, you might think, that you look like this right here. I wish that were so. I don't think that's true. I think it probably looks more like this for most of us. That might be a big dark hole for some of us. I was talking to a guy not too long ago, and he said, Bill, I scare myself. I said, well, that sounds actually pretty honest. I think most of us, would scare ourselves if we really had the opportunity to see everything. This is where our story begins. Whether these quadrants are yours are not important. What's important is that if you want to change, you're going to have to be okay with God working here. The one who loves you the one who died for you. You see, the truth is, we're never going to reach escape velocity on Easter Sunday. It's one shot. We won't reach escape velocity. You won't do it that one time you get prayer. Why? Because God is at work in your life. And he begins to work in the stuff that you don't know. And he pushes more. More and more and more. I think he's got the hang of it. And more and more. I think we have one more. There we go. Now you can ask, gosh, does everybody need to know everything about me? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's true. Oh, thank you. I have to walk every 20 minutes. So, I mean, I can still preach, but. 
you know. It's, it's actually, I, I always walk and preach, so it's been really difficult for me to sit down and do this. So the idea to stand up for a little bit is like, oh, thank God. So, um, you know, the Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. Search me, God. Test what's there. I have anxious thoughts, God. 139 is a great psalm for you to go home and read. It's about you and about God. Verse 1, Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with my ways. This is a God that knows how to change. He's a God that can meet you. He meets you in crisis. But he also meets you today. And he knows all about you. He knows things about you and I we do not know. There are things about me I do not know. You have a lot of unprocessed business. You and I both. I have 57 years of business. I've done good business, bad business. I've been a lot of places, done a lot of things. When I talk to people about that, I talk about how God handles regrets. I'll tell you what I hear the most about regrets in the church. That truly disturbs me. I have no regrets. I learn from my mistakes. I don't think that's true. I don't think very many people learn from their mistakes at all. That's why they do them over and over and over and over again. I don't, and as people especially that said this, I thought, really? Wow, that's too bad. Because it doesn't seem like you've learned that much. I have learned so much from my mistakes. You know, how many of you have... Uh, had an inspection sticker expire, registration expire, and um, maybe you got a ticket, and then you said you wouldn't do that again, and you got another ticket, and it expires for some of you every year. Now, I'm raising my hand just as an example. It couldn't be me. I'm, I, I learned very well. I learned that if you get it before the end of the month, you don't get a ticket. I learned that. And I reinforce that almost every year. And when I do get it before it expires, it's a point of celebration for me. You have to get the wife, go out for dinner, celebrate. I hit a deadline. I nailed it. You know, 
you have unprocessed business and you have feelings. Whether you're aware of them or not, you have feelings. For many people, anger really has down below it hurt. But especially for guys, hurt is a funny word. Wow, you really hurt me. That doesn't sound quite macho enough for some of us, so we want to ramp that up a little bit. You really peed me off. You see, doesn't that sound much more macho, much more in the zone? But the truth is, you hurt me. And God has to get people where they're comfortable talking to him about, yeah, here's how that felt. I didn't like that. You have feelings. They're real and they're there. Whether you feel them, whether you know it. Why do I say that? It's because God has feelings and you were made in his image. You have feelings. They're a part of your story. They're a part of my story. How I feel, how I respond, how I react to things, they're a part of my story. And to, and to disassociate with my feelings is to disassociate with a part of me. It's to say there's a part of me that is no longer validated as really me. So I have to let God talk to me about my feelings. I have to let him talk to me about my disappointments. One of the people that disappoint me the greatest in my life really has been me. Has anybody ever been disappointed in yourself? It's like, oh, man. How did I get stuck with you? So I want to begin to reveal to you God's plan of change. Psalm 68, verse 19. Praise be to the God and Savior who daily bears our burdens. He daily bears our burdens. All right, there are two words there that are important. What do you think they are? It's very, very quiet in here. What do you think they might be? Okay. Daily is the one that gets left out. He daily bears our burdens. He is in every day with you, with me. Blessed be the Lord. Day after day, he carries us along. He's our Savior, our God. Oh, yes. He's God for us. He's God who saves us. Lord God knows all deaths ins and outs. He daily bears our burdens. He's in the day along with your burdens. That's the problem. If we, if we operate God once a year for Easter, if we 
move toward God once a month or even once a week for Sunday. You see, the problem is he is not in a position where he is allowed to daily bear your burdens, to daily connect with you and the things that you feel like are heavy for you, the things that I feel like are heavy for me. You know, sometimes the things that were heaviest in that day were not really very heavy. That were uh, the compliments that were handed out the company. And, you know, man, over the weekend, we had some people really save the day for us. So-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so. But they didn't mention my name. And I was a part of it. It's a silly thing, isn't it? It's not like they got a raise. But my name wasn't mentioned. And I think about that all day long. It's kind of there. God daily bears our burdens. Proverbs 8.34. This is God's wisdom speaking. Blessed are those who listen to me. Watching daily at my door, waiting at my doorway. Or Luke 9, 23. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. The idea is, whatever is happening with Jesus, whatever is happening with God, whatever is in play with you and God is a daily affair. It's a daily thing. Not a weekly thing, a monthly thing. This is a real-time reality. Luke 5 Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. And he got more teams together so they could heal more sick. That's not what it says, is it? But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Lonely sounds lonely, doesn't it? The statement is, he got away daily. He processed his day daily with his father. That's what he was doing. He modeled how life is done successfully, how change can be appropriated, can be a reality without crisis, heart change. It can really happen for you and I. My behavior can change, but I won't change it through toughening up and laying down greater rules for me. I might, I might follow them, but it doesn't mean I've changed. It doesn't mean that my soul is at peace with these changes. It means that I'm still fighting them every day. So why has crisis become so a primary way we experience real change. Here's my answer. 
Because we have surrendered today. We have surrendered today. That's, that's the challenge. And my contention, when you surrender today, you have surrendered. It just takes being in control of today for your life to belong to someone else. Because today is the only day that is in play. The scripture reveals to us the secret of real change. And that is today. Remember, inside you, yesterday is still affecting you. Tomorrow you're afraid of or excited about. But today is where it's in play. Today is the moment. Today is the time. You see, if Satan can just distract you or I in today, if I can just surrender today and embrace tomorrow, well, today sucks, so I'm just going to forget about today and focus on tomorrow. People live in the past. People live in the future. But it never helps them today. But all Satan wants to do, he doesn't need you to give your life to him. He doesn't need you to reject Jesus. He doesn't need you to do any of that. He just needs you to focus on something else today. Your career, your family, your money, your dreams, your hopes, doesn't matter. Anything will do. Because whoever is Lord of today is Lord of your life. He's Lord of my life. It seems small to let today go. It seems like it would be something that, that, that would be inconsequential in the whole of your life. But remember, life is just made up of a series of todays. And if we don't master how to do today, we will never have tomorrow. Escape velocity is found only in today. There's enough power in today to be free. That's our challenge. Now, <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things that are going to violate most of what us folks really feel. All right, brace yourself for this statement. Nobody throws rocks or anything else. You need to slow down. There, I said it. In our society, in our culture, we are busy, busy, busy. 
And if we find an open spot, we will fill it and be busy, busy, busy. Now, I fall in the same category. I have a long history of defending busyness. Um, I'm still fine with being busy. But what I am saying today is that if we want to walk with Jesus, we'll have to do it today. And if you just don't have time, you know, when you think of it in reverse, it makes it sound kind of, kind of weird. You get to heaven and say, God, you know, I did all I could. I was working with the kids, working with the family. I uh, was, was soccer and this and that, and work was so demanding, and I just I really didn't have time for you every day. Um, I, I just didn't, I didn't have a place to put you. You know, after I lined everybody up and uh, you got the short end. That's how many of us live, is God gets the short end. Really, that's us getting the short end. And so what God would say is, you need me in today. You're going to have to figure out how I can fit in today. Or you're, going, you're saying you're going without me. And in those places, that's where ultimately crisis becomes the primary tool of change. something that people who go to this church see me all the time know I very rarely ever do that. I was just pretty much in a very, very low place, you know, with God at the time. And, not, and I'm, I'm coming out of it still. I'm not fully out of it yet, but I'm, I'm getting there. Well, um, when uh, Bill prayed for me, he said that God told him that I needed to make time for him, however that looked. Because if you want me to be uh, prevalent in your life, you want to see the works that I do, you need to make time for me. So, that was on a Sunday, and then that Wednesday, when I finally remembered what I was getting prayed about, I, uh, at, when I go to work, and I'm by myself pretty much every day at the office, so I just said, this is the time that I'm going to do it. So I started taking 10 minutes. I know it doesn't sound like a whole lot of time. 10 minutes is, you know, nothing for most people, but, you know, like Bill says, every moment of time that, you know, you can find something to do, you'll fill it with something. So I chose to cut out 10 minutes of my day and just put everything down and just pray to God. Whatever he would have me do, whatever he'd have me pray for, whether it was other people, myself, situations, you know, or just whatever. Well, the first time that I did it, you know, 10 minutes seemed like an eternity. I thought I was there for 30 minutes instead of 10 minutes. You know, phones are going off, emails are ringing, and I just 
left it alone. And then, uh, no kidding, like probably 15, 20 minutes after that, you know, we get a phone call, uh, anon not anonymously, but from an old customer we had wanting us to do some work for him again. You know, and then I asked him, I said, okay, that's fine. You know, when do you want us to start this? Um, how about tomorrow? And for our office, this is probably doubles our revenue in our office and, you know, puts more money in the pockets of all the people that we have working for us. And it was just kind of like the thing that God was telling me. You made that time. You made that sacrifice. I'm here. Here's what it's going to look like. And so now that's what I do every day. I just set aside 10 minutes. If I forget in the morning, I make sure that I make it a point to just wherever I'm at, and whenever I remember to just start praying. Thank you. <clears throat> he decided, but actually, I, I hate to say that I don't remember praying for him. Um, but evidently, God said, Make me important. And I'll show, I'll show you me. I'll show you myself. And he did. And he did. He committed to give God 10 minutes a day. However you do it, that, that's up to you. But the battle is won in the day. The distractions and the power of the distraction is in the day. The important is always dealt a blow by the urgent in the day. You will never see where God's stuff is urgent. If it's urgent, it's because you made it urgent. He made God urgent in that day. That was the only way he could keep him important. The phones, the texts, the emails had to all surrender, and he made God urgent in today. If you want to walk with God, if you want to see change in your life, make God urgent in today. I want to share one last exercise for you. Um, there are different names for this, but um, wins and losses, whatever you want to call it, at the end of your day, process your day with God. Pick one thing that day that was drained you, bothered you, hurt you. Pick one thing that fed you, that was good for you. And ask God about them. Why did that make me upset? Why did that make me angry? Why did that make me feel left out? Or the good things? Why was that so interesting to me? Why were I, was I so excited about that? Process your day with God. Every day, take a few minutes and let him talk to you about your day. you could stand. <clears throat>